Blog Talk Radio. Hear me okay? Yeah, pretty well. Pretty well. This is Lila. Hi, Peter. Lila. Hi. Well, nice to talk to you again. Nice to speak with you. 
Yeah. Well, we uh, we kind of. Uh, uh, how can we say this? We, well, we, we received we received we, we, your no, newsletter. Yeah, definitely in the in the time search, uh, the the time uh, travel uh, school concept and whatnot, and we we were both trying to figure out what what you know how would how what have you been doing for the last uh, three years? We haven't talked to you in about two or three years now, and we kind of lost. Uh, Kind of uh, lost touch a bit. Yeah, and uh, we've noticed that you've been you've been in Romania and you've been all over the place and doing all kinds of amazing things and writing some great stories. What uh, what, what 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 would you like to feature here tonight? Well, uh, let me. Let, we'll try and cover the last three years. And uh, if you can uh, remind me, uh, when did our friend George pass away? He passed away. Uh, let's see, a year. Uh, let's see, in, in June. 24th, I believe. It was the day before his birthday. Right. Uh, so what year? 2013 or 14? 2012, actually. 2012, okay. Yeah. He didn't um, even quite, he didn't make his uh, 65th birthday. Yeah, he was hoping to collect a... <laughs> he was supposed to do the, uh, no, even 62, I think. He was, 62. yeah, even 62, I don't, I think yeah. that was his birthday. Yeah. And uh, on the 25th of June, yeah, or something like that, 24th. Yeah, okay, well, I, I will I will kind of proceed from from that point and and just touch a little bit on George because he was our common reference frame. We're talking about George Dixon, uh, who who was referred to as Mister X in my book Montauk Revisited, um, because I he was. About that, I, I I wanted to bring that up just as a tribute to him, but uh, but also you could explain. That uh, and bring about that book a little more and explain George's involvement. In, uh, well, I'll be happy to start with that, um, and even though it's it's backtracking 25 years or so, but oh, that's okay. I know. A long time ago, but you know. Um, hey. it, well, when the, the Montauk project was uh, being written uh, and uh, by myself, I was primarily dealing with Preston Nichols, um, right. Duncan Cameron. Uh, was offered to contribute, but he didn't really, he chose not to. Um, but he would sometimes be around. Uh, and of course, um, and, and then one day there was a, a very interesting character who was part of the psychotronics group, Howard Metz. And Howard Metz was a pyramidologist. Uh, he had his own institute of pyramidology, and he knew more about uh, the pyramid, um, the Great Pyramid, than you know, anybody. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he um, he had a, a gathering at his house one night, I think, uh, and Al Bielik was uh, visiting and staying with him. And I happened to be, there was a lecture of some sort, and I happened to be in the kitchen, uh, and George approached me. Now, I didn't really know George. I might have met him. And, of course, he knew who I was because I was writing the book. Everybody kind of knew that. And he, I had no public profile at all at that time. And he, he said to me, he said, um, he says, um, you know, I, I know you're working on the book. I want you to know I, I was uh, involved in uh, negotiating for the chair. And I'm thinking, like, what's he talking about? Did he go to Pier 1 Imports? <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> And he's he's talking about the 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 Montauk chair, and I said, oh, okay. And I, I kind of like, 
I don't really know what the hell he's talking about. He's, I don't really get it. And I, I took what he You weren't aware of that yet. Oh. No, no, no. I, I didn't know him that well, and I knew that he was uh, – he just – you know, and he, he sort of said it under his breath a little bit. It, it was like – it was almost like he was confessing something. So anyway, I went home and I told my wife, and and she was familiar with the story and, and loved it much like a science fiction fan, and, and you know, because she had seen uh, one of the tapes uh, Preston had and, and the guys had done. And she said, um, and she had met them, and she said, oh, oh, he, he's talking about the aliens. He negotiated the chair for the aliens. They said, oh, oh. So anyway, the next time I went to Preston Nichols' house, and I was actually, you know, just getting him to uh, tell me the book, which I would tape record, and he said, um, I said, and Duncan just happened to be there, and he, and I said, you know, George told me that he uh, was involved uh, with, with uh, you know, negotiating to get the Montauk chair. And they looked at each other stunned. Like, and I thought that their stunned look was, you know, what kind of weed has George been smoking? And <laughs> this was not the response. They said, no, this is the first time he's ever discussed it with anybody other than us. And really? they were very uh, surprised by that. And uh, so this suggested that George uh, was either a player or totally – well, he, he was a player involved in, in the dynamics of, of this, whatever this reality was. And so that's kind of how I got to meet George. And he, he had a very difficult time talking about it. By the time uh, he was doing these radio shows – especially towards the end of his life, he was much more settled. He was much oh, yeah. more settled. No, he, but, he was with us regularly on, on Fridays before his death, you know, for almost, uh, I'd say probably two or three years. Anyway, yeah, we did a regular show. But he um, he mentioned that to me, and he mentioned the difficulty he had, um, or, you know, virtually uh, almost cost him his life. Uh, and, and when he was involved with that, but he um, he didn't quite. I don't know if he to this day still fully understood what he had done, other than you know that he he negotiated for that chair. But there was so much so much of his his uh, story was kind of fragmented, you know, from memory, and uh, the fact that he was under that under the uh, um, uh, 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 mind control. Uh, technique that they were using on him where eight or ten hours of the day he had lost um, uh, lost his memory you know uh, during that period it was very bizarre and uh, maybe you you must know the whole story of uh, his whole story correct oh I, I mean yes and I, I found out some pretty interesting aspects to it I, I don't remember them all it's not all fresh to mind so it's probably not best to go into them but uh you know, he he was involved. What he told me at that time was running a a billion dollar portfolio for the Montauk project, uh, and he was the portfolio manager, and he had a he was basically taking, you know, what was generated from the Nazi gold. That was the story of the Nazi gold, and and the, the money was given to him. Uh, I I even was told the name of the company. Uh, and that there was a whole lot of bizarre synchronicities with that company. I don't even remember the name of it. It, it might 
might be written down somewhere. But well, actually, uh, actually, he was in. He, he I, I know. I, I don't get me. I may be wrong on this, but he said that he was actually a, uh, an agent for uh, was it um, IDS? Oh, no, IDS. Yeah, Investors Diversified Services. Yeah, that's it. Investors Diversified. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the reason I laughed at that was because I I I, uh, I I had become uh, an agent for them many many years ago during the early '80s as well, and um, uh, I was a not in quite the same way as George. No, not negotiating for that. Just just as a as a simple insurance broker, but but well, uh, I had gone to my mortgage and real estate firm, but but that but when he told me about it and he told me what he had done, I I maybe. It was. It, it, it's almost as though he still didn't know. Uh, he didn't quite understand his his role. He understood his role. He understood that he had done that, but it took him a while before he he was able to gain uh, consciousness, you know, as to what he had been doing, you know. And I guess it was through Preston Nichols that that he was able to find himself and, and understand what his um, role was. Role was in in in, in this. Uh, uh, whole Montauk project and, and negotiating for the uh, chair, uh, which uh, maybe you can explain that a little more. That You would know more about that Montauk chair than I would, but it gave access to the Martians or something. Uh, it was totally, totally bizarre to me. It, it, it is bizarre, and, and it was it was the Syrians. Excuse me, my phone is playing games here. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and switch phones. Uh, hang on here. Okay, you sound good to us. This this will be better. All right. So, anyway, um, George. Well, the the Montauk chair was basically just a a device for sitting in that had crystal uh, receivers, a receiver system attached to it that somebody would sit in, and it would pick up. It was sensitive to their thoughts. Now there were different iterations of it and you know Preston Nichols could go into the technical details I cannot it started out as a lounge chair in Southampton uh, and then and I mean in a facility in Southampton I don't mean you know somebody was sitting out on a patio and, and it was eventually had to be moved to Montauk uh, it was being operated from a distance they needed to have the psychic right underneath that transmitter building and of course uh, George's Involvement, what it, it, it somehow his, his basic function was a, in, you know, financial broker, and right. that that was so you know whether he got the, uh, you know, was securing the parts to buy them, uh, whether Syrians were telling him what to buy and he was doing it, I don't know. It, it gets fuzzy, as the right. the whole subject is fuzzy, because you're dealing with. What? We're not talking Syrians as far as the uh, Assad and so on. We're talking the uh, 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 aliens from the star system, Sirius. Yes, this is what we're yeah, talking yeah. about. Sirius, and, exactly. And okay. Yes, and and this, of course, this this is one of the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. This is one of the main problems with the whole Montauk story. It gets very fuzzy, and of course, what 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 where I got interested. And this is years later after the initial, you know, book was done. Uh, right. I had this very strange dream with George in it, and it was surrounding uh, what would be called the Trans. I think it's called the Trans America Building in San Francisco. It's a big pyramid building in San Francisco. 
And I, he, and I said, George, why am I dreaming of you in this, this building? And I think I misidentified it as the Federal Express building. But whatever it was, he says that they were the parent company who had purchased Investors Diversified. And my dream connected him. And this is where he started telling the story and for the first time named Investors Diversified. I think that's so, I, thought, I thought that was so far, far, far out when I when I uh, when we first talked about it. And he said, "Investors diversified." I said, "Oh, I worked for them." You know, I said, he said, "Yeah." yeah. I said, well, "There's, there's, there's something else weird here, Leo." <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. now listen. At that time, straight, I was straight at oh. that time. Um, Stuart Swordlow uh, was who was yes. you know sat in the Montauk chair and was involved in the experiments. He uh, was surfacing as a public figure. I was working on his book. I was editing oh. and publishing his book at that time. And That's he awesome. lived he, he, he lived on Long Island, but he worked in Westbury, the same place I was living, in Westbury, New York. And he just happened to be working there. That's where he got, uh, got a job. So, no, it, I mean, don't get me wrong, but I, I, maybe I'm, just, I, I'm pretty sure he was, he was the one you wrote about. Uh, that was involved with uh, with uh, child uh, slavery there, and uh, and and uh, uh, he was abducted and so on. Was it? Well, he, yeah, he had all sorts of strange experiences. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. but a, a child sex slave. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I I don't know if he described himself as a child sex slave, but he certainly was was molested, uh, and and certainly more as an adult than as a child if if I'm if I recall but but he his book is Montauk the Alien Connection which I published uh which wrote you know brought him to some prominence but anyway made him a public figure but anyway Stuart this is the point is I went over to see Stuart during that period at his workplace and he happened to have where the really I think the only reason he was hired cuz he spoke Spanish and and he was hiring people for a a janitorial service, and he was the hiring agent. So the boss, uh, who was Germanic, um, she was a very unusual lady, and I, she had a bracelet that said August 12th, and he showed it to me, and he, says, he introduced me to her, and he says, uh, she won't tell me August 12th was, of course, the date of the Montauk Project, and he says, oh. uh, she, won't, she won't tell me what the date is. Or what that's for, and she looks at me. She barely knows me. And she says, "And I won't tell you either." And uh, <laughs> and then she says, "But she knew all about investors diversified. She knew all about them, which was odd because I was talking about this." And he said, "Oh yeah, she used to work for them." And she said, "Basically, they were a company that extended credit very generously uh, to people who uh, had failed in their credit. They had a bad credit history." So they would they would take a person who was trying to rebuild their credit and couldn't get regular credit, and they would give them credit but charge them an arm and a leg for it, a very high interest yeah. rates. But they were very appreciative of the credit and would generally pay because nobody else would give them credit. So this oh, is absolutely. what she. Pardon? Right. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, ahead. So that, that that. Go ahead. So she was a loan shark virtually, right? Well, she wasn't. She said the company was. Uh, oh, that's no. what she. That's what. She, no, the investors diversified is what she told me. Oh. Which she explained um, it now. Yeah. But anyway, well, they, that that was. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, you keep talking every time I talk. So we're, we're I know. I didn't time. mean to do that. It's just that I, I, uh, I had a question there. But go, go ahead, Pete. I'm sorry. I, I don't. Go ahead if you have a question. No, no. It was just about diversified services. I, I was. Uh, were, they were, when I was with them in the, in the early thir- early 80s, very early 80s, maybe 81, 82. Um, uh, they were they were more of a they they weren't they were just breaking out. I don't know what what year he was working. Uh, George was. It working would have been in that time period. Just about the same time period, but they were they were uh, they were expanding. They're a very very aggressive group. Um, and getting into mutual funds and all kinds of stuff that they were selling, insurances and so on. But, um, uh, uh, um, but the thing that, that, that surprised me was he was working for them, but then he was negotiating this, this, this chair, you know what I mean? And, and uh, he, I don't even think he, he couldn't even quite figure out what, how that happened because he couldn't remember much of the, uh, Negotiations for the chair. No, he couldn't. He you know, couldn't talk, or he, or it was hidden from him. I don't he, know. He said it was. It was almost like he had forgotten eight or ten hours of his day. You know. Well, th- this and, is a problem with all of this, and and so, but you would see it surface through strange synchronicity, uh, uh, and and this is just kind of how it works. But you know, we can, we can r- wrap that up. That's just a, a memory of George, and I'm, I'm going back oh, to yeah. his involvement. Uh, but we can move on from that. But that's you know. But you can, you, you can you've never. Had one of the, uh, yeah, you've had one of the most fascinating lives, really. When you, I mean, all the way from the early days of Scientology up until uh, you know up until these uh, Romanian finds and and uh, of course the Montauk project. I mean, you you just seem to to find your your. I don't know where your or journey. It fi- or it finds you. I don't your know. Your journey, it's... yeah. You know, it's finding you, but you seem to to travel in these circles that just are overwhelmingly amazing and you're one of the few people i guess who can actually uh talk about that yeah you know interpret it to, to the extent that most people can understand where you've been i mean it's amazing and now, uh, some, of the, some of the travels you've had now i understand from your newsletter that you just got radu's cinema's fifth book Yes, that's well. That's correct. It's in Romanian. It's being translated, and it's a it's a slow process, arduous process. But uh, let me let me uh, encapsulate what you say and how it refers to the future. Yes, I, I've been involved in some interesting things, but I think the most significant uh, aspect of my life, if, if we're going to learn from the future, is that when I before I wrote the Montauk Project in 1992, uh, my entire uh, Life, my adult life from 18 years on, was uh, a preparation in its own way to do the Montauk Project. Not, I didn't know it was going to be that way, but from the, what I had studied uh, pre- prior to Scientology, what I studied in Scientology was, which was about that human beings uh, or, or spiritual beings had long been implanted with electronics. This is one of Hubbard's teachings which does not get any uh, emphasis when you hear all the uh, naysaying and uh, scandal um, because uh, people are being manipulated and mind-controlled without electronics uh, in, in, this day, in, 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 you know, in that organization. But uh, it, he talked about control with electronics. So uh, when, I got, when I met Preston Nichols, he was living evidence that what L. Ron Hubbard was saying was true, that people were indeed uh, controlled with electronics. 
He's talking about spiritual beings. Now, there were also other factors in my life. I had worked in um, design and advertising, which gave me the background to actually produce a book. Producing a book in 1991 was a lot more challenging than it is today with desktop publishing. So you had to have certain skills, uh, which I uh, you know, possessed with my, my team, my wife, uh, we had an advertising company and design company. So that was, that was all a preparation. And the various other businesses I had been involved, one of which was a computer business. So I just happened to uh, understand enough about computing to be able to, uh, uh, you know, put this thing, this book together using a computer, typesetting it myself. And I was learning it as I went. But so in other words, my whole life was a preparation to do the Montauk project. Now, if we fast forward, uh, all of the research in Montauk has led me down different pathways and avenues, one of, which, of course of which you have already mentioned and are familiar is Romania. So I'm going to pick up from 2012 when George had uh, passed away, and that summer I had been invited with a woman, uh, by a woman of the name of Jeanette Crowley, uh, C-R-O-W-L-E-Y, spelled the same way as Aleister Crowley, uh, not a known relative of him. But she is a a channel, and she goes around the world. She has quite a following, a very nice lady. And she had been to Romania and was near the the Sphinx area and was picking up on all of this uh, psychically. She was picking up on this, and one of her Romanian – students uh, told her about my work. So she got involved in it, and she thought it would be uh, appropriate if I would come with her. So she invited me to come, and she paid for my, you know, my travel and my stay. I was like the esoteric guide on the trip. And from, uh, and, and of course, putting the agenda together was very challenging uh, because I had a certain uh, not only an agenda, but a, I had been taught by the Romanians that if, if I want to go to the, the holy site of Transylvania, Sarmasejatuza, which is where the old, which is the religious capital of ancient uh, Dasha, is what it's called. Um, and I had been there in 2009, but I was only there for part of a day, and you're supposed to go there for three days. Well, this was the struggle. I could not convince her to go there for three days. I could convince her. I could convince her to go there at all, and that was a great thing. Uh, why? Why did you have to go for three days? That is the, you know, it's like. Well, let me say, um, if if say suppose you're Jewish, and and yeah. the high priest tells you to do X, Y, and Z when you go into the Temple Mount or into the Holy of Holies, you do X, Y, Z. Okay. Uh, the same as if you're doing mass, there's a prescription, a ritual. Well, everybody, now it wasn't so formal as that, but all, all of the, what you'd say, the clairvoyant type people in Romania said, you must spend three days there because it's like, uh, that's, that will give you a full experience. You will get a full experience rather than just, you know, like you well, can you, imagine. You had, you, you had the most remarkable, uh, uh, descriptions. I, I don't know if you were actually. I can't. I'm trying to remember if you were actually in some of these uh, no. uh, mines. 
no, 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 not in the chamber. No, no, that's Radu's uh, descriptions. Those are not mine. Uh, oh, I, but this when, is a one where you met, uh, or rather, I, I guess Radu saw it or somebody, but where he saw that the uh, portal to, to the to the to the universe there. Um, remember, the, inside the mines, they were all uh, golden. Okay, they're all yes, well, we, you're, you're, yes, well, you're getting a little bit ahead. Yes, um, this oh, was okay. in this, this, this is this area that you're talking about. It's the fourth book in the series, The Secret Parchment, Five Tibetan Initiation I, Techniques. I, now, this secret. area that I'm talking about, Sarmasejatuza, is over that area, and underneath are tunnels of pure gold. Uh, oh. They know this is not a dispute, geologically disputed. There is so much gold there, it's not funny. Um, and there are tunnels of gold which lead to a throne room, uh, as per the book uh, Secret Parchment. Yeah, and, was, and that led to a portal of some sort to, to the Well, universe. yes, down in the, in the throne room was a portal that led to another world. And yeah. uh, well, I can't really offer anything more about that at this time, uh, simply because I don't have any more information. But right. the, so anyway, I, I don't know any of that at the time. Uh, right. I well actually I had I had um, the that book I think was was translated and I I gave the the rush translation to Jeanette so she could read it before we went but it it's so only her and I had read it at that point the English translation but we we went to um, so anyway uh, I got to go there for a day and of course. It was my second trip there, and I then when we were climbing, uh, we weren't actually going there. We were climbing to another location on another day, which is uh, over that area, climbing a mountain. And when we got to a certain point in on the climb, uh, the, our guide pointed. We were having apples. Some lady came out and brought us apples from some home on the hill. And she was very friendly. There were like 40-plus of us. And she came out, and there were only a few of us. And the guide pointed down to a valley, and he says, that is the Valley of the Golden Thrones. And it's translated into English. And I said, you mean the valley of, from that book? And he goes, yes, that's the Valley of the Golden Thrones. And I said, wow. And there was a, a woman there uh, who used to um, facilitate Jeanette's trips, she was just a, I guess what you'd call a paying guest on this one, and she was very taken by this, and I was too. And, I, and she says, we must return there. So he, he then went on to explain that by tradition, he says, when you go to these caves, there are caves in this valley, and just because you see a cave does not mean that you will actually be able to go into it physically. You will go into it you just meditate in front of the cave and the facilitators of this meditation that will lead you to caves are called the solomonare like the word solomon this is where the word solomon comes from solomonare it means sun and moon and the solomonare uh are they go back into the history of this region and they are known as initiators they, will, they, they, they dwell inside the inner earth. They are evolved beings or spirits, and they will uh, appear to you as a shepherd or a beggar or sometimes as a sheep. And, and uh, when I first 
uh, went to Romania, one of the first things I ran into was a beggar. And the beggar was very unusual, and uh, I didn't give him anything because he, I didn't have any Romanian money for him. And uh, I was later informed by a friend of mine who was with me. She was American. She, she sent me the legends and said, you're supposed to give them something because they're testing your heart. And if they do, if you do uh, pass the test, they will open up the heart of Romania to you. So oh, wow. when, I, when I went on this trip with Jeanette, I went out of my way to find a beggar in the same area where I'd encountered that other one, and I found him, and, and he blessed me to heaven and back. I gave him, you know, the equivalent of a few dollars, and he uh, was very happy. He, I think he was blind, if I recall. And in any case, uh, the blessing seems to have worked because I was then uh, – Vonda said, you know, we need to go back. So she, the next year she organized a trip with my help, and we went back again. And when you talk about the heart of Romania being open to you, well – I went back and I was able to spend three days uh, in, in the valley. Now, it was very odd because when we went, returned to Sarmasejatuza, uh, the guide uh, was very confused. He showed up drunk. Uh, he was very uh, troubled. And then and he, was, he was not, you know, he, he was angry at uh, somebody and he, he was very very, you know, he's never going to get hired again. <laughs> but the thing was, he he brought us back to the hotel where we were staying, and this there was a question and answer session which was going very south because he wasn't answering people's questions. He was probably still under the influence. But my question was, where was this valley? And where was this valley? And and it was the most difficult conversation. Uh, which I had to expertly use all of my communication skills to get a, a straight answer out of him. But I did get the straight answer out of him, and it, and it created quite a dynamic sensation in the group because what, what I found out, I said, well, you know, last year you pointed down uh, to this valley, and he basically, I figured out that he was pointing down to the valley where we were staying. That was the valley. I thought the valley was someplace else. But no, he was pointing back to where we were actually staying which was the same hotel, the entire area is known as the Valley of the Golden Thrones. So I was seeking the valley, and I found the valley. And, of course, this is kind of like going into your own backyard and, and you know, saying, where well, is that? Finding the buried treasure and it's there all along. <laughs> exactly. And, of course, because people – and I was being told this the night before. And um, there was – when I arrived that the evening prior to that, um, a lot happened on this journey. This is 2013. A, a lot happened on this journey, and what what it was was um, there was a a group of people waiting for me in a nearby hotel that was about four miles away, and I I didn't know this, but. Uh, they were all waiting for me. They were going to give, um, they wanted me to come and give a lecture. But you see, I was on a, I guess, an itinerary with the group I was with, and I couldn't depart uh, to go see them. And there, there was a woman uh, who, who has a group, and she was, 
she had been reading my books to her group. Uh, and she was, they were translated from English into Romanian to her wisdom school. And anyway, the next, uh, and then early that next morning, oh, she, no, she came over to see me because I couldn't go. She came all the way over to see me. She had a couple of people, uh, you know, who, who advanced men she sent to talk to me, and I told them I couldn't come, so they brought her to me. Um, and something very odd happened. I went out into the parking lot, which you say parking lot. It's not like going to a parking lot at Target. It's, uh, it's dead black. <laughs> you don't see anything. And I felt something very peculiar, like something was behind me. And I, I said to her, I said, there's something behind me. I looked and I said, there's something, there's something strange behind me. And she walked over to the exact spot where it was. It was only a spirit. It was very odd. Something was following me. And I later deduced that this was indeed a, what you call a solomonari. And there was a, uh, what you call an activation of sorts. So the, um, the following morning, uh, before we went to Sarmasegetuza, I was introduced to a, I was telling the story, I was writing the book, The White Bat, which is the most recent book that I published. And it was not published at that time. And there was a young girl there uh, who told me that she had seen a white bat just uh, just a, a couple of days before, and that was very significant. And I would later learn on a subsequent journey that there's a whole species of white bats in Transylvania that have never been recognized by zoology because they don't know about them. So this oh. is this book, The White Bat, that I wrote. But anyway based upon a dream of a white bat I had before I ever got involved in Montauk, I was being brought to Romania. However, um, when I went back to that journey, this is my three-day journey, I was to meet a woman who was to become my wife. I had no idea, and we met at this spot. So this was my three-day journey. So in other words, you say, why do you take three days? Well, if they tell you to take three days and you take three days and, and you, you know, find a, uh, you know, find your soul, soulmate, you know, you did the right thing. I think so. I, I think so. Oh, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask you more about uh, the spiritual contacts that you've had or that you, you've had um, uh, involvement with. Uh, because I think I, I mentioned it to you briefly when when we, when we spoke uh, or when, when I was writing to you the other day about the um, uh, involvement with the with the with the many dimensional um, aspects of our being. Uh, shortly after George died and my friend uh, Bill uh, Marshall, I don't know if you knew Bill, but he was an astrologer that was on my radio show too. But um, he, he and George were very good friends, and um, but uh, when they both passed away, they had tremendous psychic responses to them. Um, to, 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 to I had, and uh, I couldn't believe how they were speaking to me, and they were speaking actually to Maria, um, fix Algeria there, and uh, 
we had done a number of programs because their 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 messages were so overwhelming, uh, uh, so powerful. We want we needed to, to you know we we they needed to vent what happened to them. They needed to explain what happened to them, and through us they were able to do that um, uh, on the air. And because you know they they just uh, want to do that. And I I don't know exactly uh, what you know how that I I know exactly how that feels. I know how it feels when they speak to you. I know how it feels to be um, involved with them spiritually. But I was uh, you had that you had you had several uh, very um, close encounters of the third kind, if you will, uh, with when with with the uh, with your own uh, 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 involvement with spiritual uh, entities. Uh, could you explain what 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 happened to you, or what your journey was, until and, and how you rationalized it with the rest of your um, philosophy? Okay, and um, and and how you um, and and how you uh, rationalize that spiritual connection now? You know, uh, or do you have any more? Have you ever had any more sensations or contacts with with those entities? Well, that, that's, um, you know, like, see, when you mentioned Maria Fix, she was a very gifted clairvoyant, and, or she still is. I, I haven't spoke to her in decades, but uh, I, I did know her. She was a good friend of George's. And she, um, you know, she could just pick up. I, I know there was this, this guy who had, had hundreds of thousands of dollars in bonds that were lost, and he came to her, and, and she would say, well, they're, they're here and they're, they're in the refrigerator or whatever. And, and, you know, she saved him hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, he became a good friend of hers. And, and at the time she, and at the time she gave that, that prediction or that, that assessment, uh, she was really down on her luck. And he kind of, the situation kind of saved her. She lived, uh, you know, by her own clairvoyant ability. And she would just traffic with this stuff. And she was very good at it. Um, that's not necessarily, and it's gotten into her in some trouble. In, in one case, I think she told me she told the police where a dead body was, and they looked at her as a suspect. They put her on the suspect list. How yeah, could she that know? was when her husband, um, yeah, it was when her, her, her new husband, well, new husband, she's been married for quite some time, but um, he, his son, I believe our nephew, um, had been murdered. And she, he asked her to, if he, if he, if she could, uh, you know, see him or find out what what happened to him. And she, I guess she did, and that brought her into some problems with the police department. But uh, you know, she, uh, you know, she stayed on it, and I guess she, uh, I don't know if she uh, found it or or if she was able to, I don't know. So we're getting off point, but yeah, she she had an ability, but I'm saying that's that's not necessarily um, that's not that's oh, been no, not no. been my own personal experiences. Um, there are people like that who do that, um, but I'm saying no, she's, she's tremendously clairvoyant. No, there's no question about that. But she allowed, but working with her for a number of years with George and 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 through her as well, uh, she she taught me the tarot. She taught me all these different forms. And different uh, and connections and 
and for some reason I was able to, and she tutored me through a number of uh, 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 theosophical uh, uh, things like, uh, you know, the... Uh, I understand, but we're getting off point to answer your question. No, but I, I was just saying that your spiritual journey, your, your, uh, do you still have that that connection? Do you still feel that those strong bonds of you... Um, or, or, or have you been able to manage them better and, and kind of uh, move along and, and uh, you're no longer bothered by, the, by those entities? Well, I, I was never bothered per se. And as I say, you know, and as I say, I don't do well, – I did not discover spiritual entities uh, in, in, as such until I, I got into the uh, really the upper levels of Scientology which have been completely thoroughly debunked. But nevertheless, uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether they've been debunked. You can, it's what you can access. It's a tool to access. So I, I discovered that there were very negative entities uh, that I could, you know, dissipate, uh, expunge, purge, whatever you want to say. So when I have been involved in any of my research, um, what, what I have found predominantly is, is any form of entity, whether it, it forms as an alien or whatever a contrivance it chooses to communicate through, um, these things are almost universally disreputable. Because, and, and Alistair Crowley warns about this in his writing. He says, if you find an entity that does something for you, test it, test it, and test it. Because in, in all, only after you've thoroughly tested it and can trust it, then test it some more. Because when I will... Uh, speak to these entities, I will immediately ask them to act with, you know, decorum and dignity as, as like along the golden rule, and they will invariably split and run away. What they want is they want a grip, they want a hook, and I've often, I've also seen clairvoyant people who are literally hooked to the underworld as if it's a ransom. You know, they've got some sort of uh, illicit association with this entity that will do work for them, but they're really working for the entity. There's some sort of trade-off. So I really don't. Uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't indulge that sort of, uh, you know, um, communication with the spirit world. Um, but but then again, you know, if 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 something appears as a, as a gift or whatnot. Um, you know, you're communicating with the universe, and the, communi- the universe communicates generally through human beings and generally through people. Sometimes it will communicate through the spirit world, um, but it's just it's it's really life that you're dealing with. So I don't necessarily. Uh, I know there's a lot of interest in the paranormal, and a lot of infatuation with it, and it really creates a lot of imbalance in individuals. I, I think it does. I, I think it does. It has to be very. You have to be so careful with it. And um, in fact, I, I think a few years back, you were the one who, who first warned me about it as well. Um, uh, because the, the, there's, there's no question that, that there's a there's a dark side to it, and there's a malevolence there that uh, that um, you have to tread lightly with. But I. Uh, uh, but I. I guess I guess what I, what I wanted to ask you before you know before we end tonight is more let's, where what's your journey taking you now where where are you headed now uh, How much time the, do we have Leo 
the time. Yeah, we still have about ten minutes. But in this All time, right, I'll try and wrap it up. I'll try and wrap it up because I was only getting warmed. I was only getting warmed up with the Transylvania. Warmed up, yeah, I know. We could talk to you for ten hours yeah. without a problem. But anyway, I will. I will say, where is it taking me? Okay, so as as part of this journey, the most interesting aspect um, when I went back uh, to. Uh, Romania in 2014, uh, where I would meet up again with the lady who was to be my wife. I married her in 2015. She's now living with me here in America for two years, two plus two and a half years. But anyway, uh, I went back there, and we were. Um, I had some other friends from um, America with me, and we are just a couple friends though, and some Romanian friends, and. We we took an adventure to Sarmisegetuza, but I had met this archaeologist a few months earlier, and the archaeologist um, he set up a trip for us, and he took us to this cave. It's called Chuklavina Cave, and I I mean I was kind of like okay we're going. I was told we're going. It wasn't like there was a big discussion about it. He prepared this trip. We had two cars, and there was a group of us that went. So we go to this cave, and it's a very magnificent cave. You can see it on my website, timetraveleducationcenter.com. You go to the blog. There's two videos on Choclovina Cave. It might be written in English as Cioclovina, but it's pronounced Choclovina. And he took us to this cave. Now, you fast forward to 2015 in June, two years ago, I had um, – this is the last uh, – public interview with Dr. David Anderson, the time travel scientist who had brought me to Romania in the first place. And I'm doing an interview with him, and he, he's talking about, um, I had asked him what he could tell me about Romania, uh, and he said, well, there's this cave called Chaklavina Cave. It's the only place on earth where we found evidence of a time reactor discharge. And I said, well, David, it's very interesting because I was in that cave last summer, <laughs> which, and if you ever hear the video or the, the audio, it's a two-hour interview I did with him. Uh, he's just amazed. It, how could I end up in this cave? Uh, how could I end up there? Uh, you know, what, is the, what are the odds of that? And so I know he wants to go visit that cave at some point. Um, he called me for the first time in, in, since that interview uh, a few weeks ago, and we had a discussion, and he's, um, he's, he was interested in asking me about this area. Um, he hopes to be doing some more public work. I've been, I pressed him to watch my videos, uh, Time Travel Theory Explained, which are all based upon the, what he taught me in Romania um, eight years ago. And I put them into video format and there's, there's free videos. Anybody wants to go to time travel education center.com and watch these videos and um, you enter your email and you can watch the first seven videos, which explain the basic science and mathematics of, of why time travel is simple and why it works. The technology is not so simple, but the, but the mathematical principles are indeed. Do you think we'll be able to do that? Uh, Do you think as, uh, you and I will be able to do that eventually sometime in the future or maybe generations from now, I don't know. Well, I will, I will tell you this, is that um, Radu Sinemar, his, 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 he had once written 
a letter to me. I think it was the last letter he wrote to me, which was like five years ago. And he says, I promise to do everything I can to show you these things, not time travel, but show me these, this chambers and stuff that he's written about so eloquently. Um, David also told me that it should be no problem for me to see the, the time, the time reactor. Uh, he's really, he was talking about India. Um, but he said there would be no problem. Of course, when he can do it and, and how he can do it. So that's just, that's just an opportunity to see it. I'm only at the level where I might get an opportunity to see either one of these technologies, let alone participate in it. Um, you yeah. might go, if, if you go into the chamber, he said, people are often you know, nonplussed by it, like they don't think anything happened or they don't know. Others might be very sensitive and feel it. Like if you put a, a George Dixon or a Maria Fix in there, apologize for not knowing her married name, but it's like, um, in, in any case, you know, they're, they're probably going <laughs> to really feel something much more sensitively. Um, yeah. But, but that's, that's the first step. The other thing I would add here is some of the people who are most interested in like, look at, look at, I think I know both of you well enough to know that your interest in time traveling is more of an armchair interest. You're not obsessed with it. Um, that's how I am. I have an armchair interest. I also have a professional interest because it's my job for whatever reason under really? the sun. Yeah, well, I, mean, I have a professional interest because I, I write about it. So, you know, it stands to reason that I should do it. It's not, yeah. I, but I'm not driven out of an obsession to do it. But I meet people. Uh, since I've been in this business uh, for 25 years, who are obsessed with it, and always there is a deep with there's a deep a dysfunctional emotional uh, mindset with their desire to do this because they want to recapture a loved one or they want to go back and correct some ill in their life, and this is not healthy because this is not time travel is not going to solve that for them. So I, I think it's interesting that people who are attracted to it obsessively are not suitable for it. Um, and, and this is, they got to learn, and I think we all have to learn uh, what we're here to learn. And at some point, uh, time travel will become a, a pra pragmatic relevancy. But at this stage in human evolution, it's it's not. We have to you know, well, you know, learn how to how to do health care. You know yeah, I've always thought about this as in time travel. Is that we do that all? I do it constantly in my mind. You know, uh, through memory. You know, you just go, you back, go back and you go forward and you, you imagine something you forward. And uh, I I I don't know. I, I for some reason I always thought you know time travel was similar to that. You know, you just you're you're actually doing it and you're going back, but when I started to document the past, when I started to doc political documents and uh, video and everything else, develop my my uh, radio show, television, and and, uh, uh, and and website, I started to 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 um, value the moment, you know, and writing in the moment or or, or seeing in the moment, because. Uh, I started to once I developed a 12 or 15 or 16 year archive uh, on on the site, uh, and and of course uh, you know hundreds of, of of television programs and and so on. I can go back in time, and I can actually 
relive uh, those moments. You know what I mean? That that I produced that show, or relive that 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 time. Um, uh, you know, or, or that interview, or those people. And, and I know exactly it, what you mean. It's a beautiful. It's 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 your body of work. It's a. It's you have yeah. a history and you have a reference play frame, and yeah, it's it's a beautiful thing. And and if you think of time uh, as all of time as as God uh, or a conscious entity, yes, it can go back and play its many programs as well. And we're a part of those like, programs. In your work, like for instance, one of the I forget which book it was, and I apologize, but the one where you. Um, uh, spoke uh, specifically on synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if those uh, Montauk revisited or uh, do you remember that particular? I've written uh, two books uh, that have synchronicity in the title: Montauk Revisited, Adventures in Synchronicity, and Synchronicity in the Seventh Seal. Okay, there's the first one, Montauk Revisited. Yes, yeah, that, that one I because I you 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 spoke so um, eloquently on that because. That and it made me start to think about all the synchronistic, all the synchronistic uh, uh, times in my life. But my 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 whole uh, educational background uh, since I was in my teens has been a, been basically uh, I, I was always a historian. I always studied history. I always you know it was my my major and. Uh, but uh, journalism, broadcasting, that kind of thing was always my my, my ambition, and uh, to record history, you know, as it happened, you know, as it is, and as it was written, as it is uh, lived, and uh, that in itself, to me, has been my time machine because I can go back to an archive program and go, holy hell, I don't even remember doing that, or I can go back to an article I read, uh, I wrote you know, five years ago or ten years ago and go, man, I, they, I didn't remember writing that, but, you know, I remember the, the, the time and I remember the moment. So it's, it's um, I, think, I think there's, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, the, the, uh, the advancement of this time travel thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and see if we, you know, it comes to more into more uh, clear fruition. You know, in the next. Uh, I, I will say that he is—he has uh, said that he would look into his trunk and bring out some more papers for me to uh, process and, and we'd say, dumb down for public consumption. Uh, he said he would do that. Uh, Anderson, right? Anderson? Yes, yeah. He said he would do that, and um, and I also uh, uh, he plans to meet with me this summer. Um, oh. And well, we'd I, love I, to you definitely know, have you on after you meet with him again. Yeah, we'd love to yeah, do that. I, uh, because I'm fascinated yeah. by this whole thing. Yeah, and to see where 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 we where our future leads, you know. <laughs> I I think I'm fascinated because of George, because that's where it began for me. <laughs> George Serbia. Yes, yeah. and he talked a lot about yeah. it, so it's kind of a personal kind of. Yeah, he opened, he opened the gate, and then of course your, yourself and your work, <coughs> and uh, so many, so many others that he, he brought to us. He was but, very uh, excited about the work I was doing. Uh, he was very. Well, I know he was. He was. He gave he gave me a copy of every book I think, and he says, "Read this, read this. We're going to talk about it." <laughs> and uh, no, he he was he was really fascinated, and he was a great fan of yours, and uh, just a great guy. But Peter, I you know we're almost up here, but I want to can't thank you enough for being on, and I'm uh, 
always we're always the uh, and I was always fascinated by your your next adventure, you know. And uh we we're looking forward to this new book. Um when, when do you I, I am to? too. I I am too and uh it's just uh we'll get it done and uh it'll I, I say it might take till Christmas to get it out, but uh oh. That's good. Um, and you're gonna, and you'll be meeting with Dr. Anderson this summer. Yeah, I, I hope to. I mean, you know, he he indicated that you know he wants to do something, uh, but as they say, right. it doesn't always work out that way. But I certainly uh, hope hope it does happen, and uh, um, it's it's due to happen. Well, we'll keep following you on uh, Facebook, and I'll follow you on. Uh, on uh, the Montauk Pulse, and uh, you know, keep uh, keep to date. And uh, and the Time Travel Education Center dot com is the website for people who uh, who want to follow. Time Travel Education Center, yeah, dot com. Okay. And I'm sure there are people that are listening to this show that would be very interested. I, I to think go so. There. I think so. But uh, right, we definitely are. Well, we we wish you safe journeys in all realms. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Same to you. And we hope that we get. A, I hope you get a chance to meet with Dr. Anderson, and we'd love to have you on certainly after that, or yeah. even if you don't get a chance to meet with him after your experiences this summer. Well, just update us, yeah. And update yeah. us, okay. Okay, thank you. All right. Thank Peter. you, Peter. Have a good Have a good night. Bye bye. Bye bye. Good night. That was Peter Moon, and you can check it, check out his work. Uh, go to Sky Books, um, uh, the, uh, USA. All right, that's his publishing house. And you want to go to uh, timetraveleducationcenter.com. Right, and you can look up uh, um, uh, the Montauk Pulse, the Montauk Pulse, P-U-L-S-E, and that's his his, uh, um, newsletter. I think it's a monthly uh, write-up that he does. Yes. And uh, just a fascinating guy, fascinating projects, fascinating reads, uh, and... uh, I, I can't uh, promote it en- enough to say that uh, it's fun to talk to him again. Yeah, the Montauk Pulse is a newsletter of events and circumstances concerning the Montauk Project. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his, uh, his buddy Preston's in there. Uh, and Pres- Preston has something to do with it. Preston is the Montauk Pulse. The editor yeah, yeah. is Peter Moon, and the writer is Peter Moon. Yeah. Um, Published published by Skybooks, yeah. um, by Preston Nichols and Peter Moon. Uh, so he's part of Skybooks. Oh, well, that explains it then. Okay. So, so good. good. So, All right. Anyway, we'll let you go with that and uh, talk to you next time. Good night, everybody. Good night, folks. <laughs>